Welcome to Satisfied, where our aim is to behold the glory of God. I'm Nick Jackson, pastor of Timberline Baptist Church in Lacey, Washington. This is Bobby Gaither, pastor of Hope Fellowship in Hillsboro, Oregon. Hey, in this week's episode, we are going to interview Todd Miles. Todd is a professor at Western Seminary. He is an elder at Hinson Baptist Church. He is a father. He is a husband. Uh, he is an author. In fact, this is his second book, correct? Second book. That's second correct. book. Yes. Yes. He's got another one, and I have it, and you don't. He didn't even tell um, me he had another book. Well, I was gonna. I was saving it for right now. No. Oh, do yeah. you have one for me? Uh, actually, there's one in my office. Perfect. See, there you go. Um, but today we're going to talk about superheroes. His book, Superheroes Can't Save You. Um, just a little bit about Todd. Uh, uh, I know Todd because I attend Western Seminary um, <laughs> when time and money and other things allow. Uh, Wait a minute. Stop. Were you, stop. Were you a student of I, Todd? Yes. Yes. Can we like just pause for a second? Todd, how was it? Was was Bobby a good student? I think there's confidentiality rules that, <laughs> that uh, prohibit me from, from answering that question. Thank you. I appreciate yeah, that. I appreciate that. Um, uh, Todd uh, used to be a nuclear engineer. Yes. It feels like a former life. Yeah. I, know, I know theologically there's no such thing as reincarnation, but man, it feels like it. It it's, feels it's like amazing. a lifetime ago. Yeah. No, but I, I did work at a national lab for 10 years. Uh, as a nuclear engineer. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, and that's just fascinating because, well, I'll, I'll just say this and, and I'll be completely um, um, honest. Uh, I look forward to Todd's classes. Uh, I, I, I look for them. I look for the T.Miles uh, in the, uh, the catalog uh, just because I, I enjoy uh, listening to someone who, who uh, Todd, I'm just... I, I love both the humility with which you present, but also, uh, as we're going to talk about, just the thorough, thoroughness of, of how you understand theology. And does your propensity towards, uh, like, being an engineer, mm-hmm. does that affect, has that crossed over into your approach to theology? Yeah, I, there is no way that it hasn't. You know, you get trained in school for however many years I, I, I took engineering classes and everything is always on a Murray pad, which was a, you know, graph paper, everything we turned homework in, you know, given required solution. This is what I know. This is what I need to know. And so this is how I'm going to solve this problem. Mm. Uh, there's no way that that hasn't affected yeah. me. Yeah. Uh, I, I tend to be uh, maybe a little bit more black and white than some, not as black and white as, as others. In, uh, but I, I think that we can have certainty about many things. I don't think we can have certainty about everything because we're talking about an infinite God uh, who is qualitatively different uh, than us, but he has spoken truly and to the extent that we can understand him and what he has said to us, we should be able to come to some sort of understanding ourselves. And uh, so, you know, that... That was a long way of saying there's no way I can shake yeah. my engineering yeah, yeah, yeah. background. I, it's just, yeah, it's impossible. Awesome. Hey, would you share with us a little bit, uh, uh, wife, kids, how long married, um, yeah, that kind of stuff? Uh, well, my, my wife's name is Camille. We have been married for 25 plus years. Uh, we have six children. They, uh, one daughter is the oldest, Natalie, and then uh, Ethan, Levi, Julius, Vicente, and Marcos, and as soon as we get through our season of birthdays here this month, uh, they will be uh, 24, 22, 20, 14, 12, and 11. Yeah. Wow. So, so that's, that's the, uh, 
That's a lot. That's, that's a full quiver. Man. Yeah, it's insane. Do you uh, do you keep track of all their birthdays? Well, I oh, I'm my wife does. Your wife and does. I, I kind of just show up and eat cake and, yeah. say, <laughs> and there's cake a lot. I mean, because there's yeah. with you and your wife, that's what eight birthdays a year. Uh, yeah, and five of them are like in a five week span. So nice. and and we're in that season of birthdays right now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. I think I know all my kids' birthdays though. I, I could probably I could probably name them. So very good. But don't ask me to. <laughs> so you, you were a nuclear engineer. Now you're a professor at Western Seminary. Yes. Uh, how long have you been there, and what, what kind of led to that transition? Yeah. Well, I, this is my 17th year at Western. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So I've, I've, I've been doing this a little while. I still feel like I just kind of started. I, feel, I still feel like I'm the young guy, uh, <laughs> but I'm, I guess I'm not as much anymore, which is sobering to think about. Uh, you know, in, in college, I, I, I was involved in a campus ministry. Uh, which was totally life-changing for me. Um, and then when I got out of college and had to get a job, right, I, I, I delayed that for a while. I, I, I did get a master's of science in engineering as well. Um, you know, for, for many people, graduate school is the responsible way to shirk or put off responsibility. And <laughs> that's how it was with me, for sure. Um, and it, I really just wanted to stay at Oregon State doing uh, ministry with the Navigators. That was hmm. a, a large part of the reasoning behind my staying. Hmm. And then, but I knew I didn't want to get a PhD in engineering. So I had to join the real world and get a job. I worked for 10 years, but honestly, my my favorite part of the day was when, um, you know, the, the proverbial whistle would blow and and I could Fred Flintstone beat it out of there, you know, out of the rock quarry. I felt like that was me almost every day, uh, leaving the lab so I could go do the things that I really liked to do, which was the ministry. Uh, opportunities that I had, I, I migrated towards a uh, another campus ministry so I could do the kind of things that I really liked to do when I was in college, uh, and uh, that was with Campus Ambassadors at this point, which was uh, the, the campus ministry arm of the Conservative Baptist Association, and uh, I just loved all that. Some of the leaders in that gave me a lot of responsibility, and I also uh, they also started encouraging me to go to seminary because they thought I would like it. I, I took a, a class or two. I was about to say online. It was distance learning. (laughs) This was back in the early 90s, and Hmm. I I, I had UPS to me a huge box of 30 VHS cassettes. Wait, what's what's VHS? Yes, exactly, exactly. (laughs) Uh, No no streaming, no online anything, and and a box of books. That's crazy. But but I loved every second of it. Yeah. Uh, And and so I thought, Hmm. then it took me a few years to figure out how can I actually move to a location where I can go to seminary. And I eventually made my way to Western Seminary, uh, while still working, so this is all part of that ten years yeah. as, an, as an engineer, and then eventually went and got a PhD. And, and can I, can and I, I ask you, uh, who was maybe uh, like an influential theologian in your life that kind of really helped shape a lot of just where you're at today? Wow, you know, that, so I that is that's a good question. In that, I don't really have a good answer to that. I'll, I'll tell you that I kind of gravitated towards. Uh, John MacArthur's books, his just biblical exegesis was was very strong. Um, the, there was a book by David Wells, No Place for Truth. Yeah, uh, he's he's he was a longtime professor at Gordon Conwell. Uh, the 
just convinced me I've just got to go to seminary. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then there was the, the specter of a, as I say specter, I'll explain that, uh, of a fellow named Bruce Ware. The youth pastor at the church that I was at was really good friends with, with Bruce and was always talking about his buddy Bruce, who was this professor at Trinity. Right. Go, oh, I got to get together with my buddy Bruce. Got to get together with my buddy Bruce. Uh, he, Bruce Ware eventually became a theology professor at Southern Seminary. So when it came time for me to go do a PhD, I just had this name, and, and he's the person that I ended up uh, pursuing and, and following, and, and I did I did my doctoral work un, under his leadership. So, so I guess those guys. Um, cool. I, but I, I was very I was very self taught. I, I, I just took the Bible seriously, and, and if I read anything by anybody who took the Bible seriously, it was it was pretty impactful. Yeah. So you wrote a book uh, titled "Superheroes Can't Save You." And I got to say, this was an amazing book. Uh, I'm a little skeptical sometimes when someone's (laughs) like, hey, read this other book. And, you know, especially by a guy that I hadn't read before Mm -hmm. or or really heard um, on an author, uh, as an author. And so I was like, all right, you know, but I had Bobby said it, uh, Chris Gorman, who we've had on the podcast, guys, I'm like, man, these guys love the gospel. And I picked it up, and I loved it from beginning to end. It's phenomenal. It's on church history. It's heresies. Yeah. Uh, and so it's an incredible book and you have an incredible handle on church history. And so kind of one of the things I just wanted to probe into, and I don't want to get too far ahead because there's so many like things I want, I want you to help us understand today is, is how did you get in, how did you get interested in church history and, and why is that so important? Why is church history just important for us today? Yeah. So maybe both of those together. Good. So I, I think my interest in church history flows from my interest in history in general. Um, I'm not one of those people who always like hated my history classes in school because I understood the history classes to be stories. Yeah. I, they're, they're all just stories. And, and, and I had this firm conviction that, that if you have a bad history class, it's because you have a bad teacher. Mm-hmm. Really, all a good history teacher has to do is just be able to tell stories well. And, and who doesn't like that? You know, we love movies, we love books, uh, they're just stories. And, and the good thing about history is that what gets written down typically is the impactful stories, you know, the stories that make us who we are. Well, church history is, you know, like 100 times that mm-hmm. as well. So I, I always had this love for history. I, I didn't know much church histories, but I loved my church history class, class one, that I took at, as a seminary student. And then when I went to do my doctoral work, I, I wanted that to be a part of what I was doing. Turned out not to be the. It turned out that I didn't uh, take much history at all in in my doctoral work, uh, because the Reformation Church history professor from the time where I enrolled and then matriculated, actually started, he passed away, okay. and so there was nobody there, and so I had to switch my minors around a little bit. Um, anyway, uh, then, but I. History, or, or theology, I should say. Theology, as it's worked out in the church, has been worked out over time, right? Uh, the scriptures do not come to us as a systematic theology. Yeah. Thank God. And I don't say that uh, blasphemously. I say it just uh, praise the Lord. Yeah. He, he knew us well enough not to give us a systematic theology. Um, he, he, he revealed himself progressively in time and space through redemptive acts, interpreting those acts, and... and and yet it is helpful 
when we're thinking theologically to have categories. Well, we don't find those categories as, you know, like chapters in the Bible or books in the Bible. The categories uh, we bring to, we impose upon the text. I think that's okay. That's what theologians do. We want to think logically about things. Um, And so we systematize the doctrines. That has been done over time in history. So, So everybody who takes a theology class in a, you know, at the Bible college level or seminary level, or even just reads a theology book, you're doing some church history because all of that was pounded out right. over time. And the really interesting thing about church history is that uh, theology is never done like ivory tower. It, it very rarely is. In, in the early church, it was always ad hoc. It, it, there was always some challenge that needed to be addressed for the health of the church mm-hmm. and for the health of its mission. And so there's a sense of urgency uh, that, that we find as, as we look back at church history as they're pounding out theology. I mean, uh, you know, the, the, the early church didn't even have the privilege of gathering, you know, their greatest thinkers in one room uh, for the first 300 years. I, I mean, I'm sure the Roman authorities would have loved to have all the great leaders of the church gather in one place. It would have been, would have solved a lot of problems for them. You know, right. just load them all up and go execute them. Or, um, and, and so it, it had to be done pastorally. It, it, it had to be done in an ad hoc manner. You know, wh- what is challenging the church right now? And, and that's always, it's basically always been the case. Uh, yeah. we, we answer the questions of the day. And so there's really an overlap between church history and theology. That was a really long answer for no, how, 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 how like, I like it. Bobby, you've been Come in on. his classes. Like, how was it? Like, there's glimpses that you get all throughout the book. And yeah. I, they're amazing. Like, I want to read... I want to I want to go take a class from Todd because of the way he wrote about church history yeah, in his book. So, what was your experience, just briefly, um, being a student in his class in church history? Well, I was yeah, I was taking his church history class. I think as the genesis of the book was developing, probably was yeah, it was probably, what four, three four years ago. Yeah, right. Uh, no, it it was great. And, and what I love uh, about how how Todd especially teaches is he gives us the information. We come together and we talk about it. Uh, at least even for church history. I mean, there wasn't a, a ton of presentation. Uh, uh, it, it was a lot of, okay, let's work this out. Um, what did this look like of the day? And, and you were a great history teacher, which is, what's the story? You are a great history Sorry. teacher. <laughs> you are a great history teacher. Because it, really, what Todd brought to it was it, he helped us understand all of the complexities relational complexities that are happening behind the scenes inside the church, inside uh, politics and government. I'm thinking specifically of the Reformation era, mm-hmm. right? Um, so we're seeing how all of these things kind of coalesce and collide um, and how that worked its way out in in theology, Yeah, you know, in, in the conversations of the day, in the creeds. Um, uh, so it, it it, it was fantastic. In fact, I, I'd come home and I'd talk to my wife about it. And she'd be like, man, I, I, I want to take that course. I want to come take a, a church history course. Um, so speaking of that, and I'm going to jump a couple of your questions because I, I want to ask, when did you see the connection between superheroes and the church? Well, it, that just developed over time. Um, so I, I was a bit of a comic book geek. Uh, growing it comes up. out somewhat in, yeah. the, in the book. Yeah. I, I, I was a bit of a comic book geek. I've always loved the superhero uh, comics and uh, movies and television shows. And I mean, this is like, it, it, technically, technically, it's not the golden age of comics, but it is definitely the golden age for movies and TV yeah. right now. And so when I was taking a theology class, 
um, Gary Bashirs, who was a professor of mine, now a colleague at Western Seminary, uh, first articulated the idea that m- most pe- or many people have this idea of Jesus more like he's Superman and not as the Bible actually presents him. And so I, and my ears perk up, right? Mm. And, and, of course, the, the idea there is that from Superman um, was from the planet Krypton. He's not a real human at all. He had a persona, a human persona, Clark Kent. But Clark Kent wasn't real, right? Right. Uh, th- Clark Kent was really just Superman in disguise, not human, but a Kryptonian correct? And so many people have the same idea about Jesus. He's not really human. Yeah. He's just God in disguise. Docetus. Yeah, there you go. Uh, that, oh, the, man, your book was so phenomenal. Yeah. For me. He was just <laughs> yeah. like categorizing yeah. these things yeah. for me. He's freaking out about it. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and so, and, and so I, I loved that illustration. Yeah. And, and then, so I, I just borrowed that you know, shamelessly ripped it off. I, there, and, and then from that point yeah, on... You, know, you didn't even credit him at all in your book. No, I think I did. I did. Yeah. There, there might have been something. Yeah, in, the acknowledgments, in, in the acknowledgments, I think I, I said, I think I first heard the Superman analogy. Oh, that's true. Years. I think that was where yeah. it was like font eight or it's something. Some, no, some very, very, very small. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and then from that point on, um, I, I would be teaching in class and we'd be looking at, say, like some, some heretical or bad view of Jesus. And it, it was uncanny how there was some sort of embodiment of that bad idea in a comic superhero. And so then I just started adding to it. And and my students would add to it as well. I mean, maybe even in the class that you had, we we came up with one more or something like that. And and so it, it, it just kind of built and built. And before I had, before long, I had like seven or eight different illustrations that I was using. Uh, and, and I found that my students remembered those. Totally. No, that's, yeah. that has yeah. functioned so well for me. Yeah, it, it, it just helped, it helped them understand this bad idea, this heretical idea about Jesus. And, and the thing with, with the church, when, when it was challenged on the Trinity or challenged on the, the person and nature of Jesus. And, you know, we have words, you know, the Trinity, the hypostatic union, which is the, the union of two natures in the one person of Jesus. But there's no corollary to that in yeah. nature, really. We, we don't have anything to illustrate that with. Oftentimes, it's easier to describe what something isn't than, than what right. it is. And so we go over these bad ideas um, because it, it, it does bring some clarity and, and also, but the, the, the point I wanted to make with this was that Trinity is really deep sledding. The hypostatic union, that, that's tough stuff. How can Jesus be both human and divine in just one person? What does that even mean? And, and how can God exist, one God in three persons? And, and so as, as different challenges came to bear on the church, you know, they, they didn't have like a systematic theology by someone that was well-respected. They had to figure it out. They used something that was clear to try to understand something that was less clear. Right. And, and they always judged the ideas about who Jesus was through the lens of the gospel. Uh, people would come with an, an idea about, well, I think this is who Jesus actually was. And the church was able to judge it by the gospel by saying, you know, it, it's really hard for us to explain exactly how Jesus can be one, one, one person, but with a human nature and divine nature. That's tough to explain. But the Jesus you just ex- described to me in this proposal of yours that Jesus can't save us. Hmm. And so I know that your proposal is wrong. I, I, I might not understand exactly how the Trinity works, but I do understand the gospel. 
and I do understand what the, the logic of the gospel, and the Jesus you just described can't actually save us. So your proposal has to be wrong. And that's how we, we started yeah. developing these. And that was, that was a fabulous part of the book where, again, you go through and you describe the different heresies, but then you say how and why it doesn't work, yeah. which, which I think is important for us to see because otherwise it's, well, everyone has ideas about who Jesus is. And there, in fact, I've heard this, I've heard it said, there used to be many different accepted ideas about who Jesus is across all Christendom. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I don't think that's so actually true, but, but that canard yeah. is out there performed yeah. by people like Dan Brown. Mm-hmm. And, and, and well, you know, what, what I liked is you're, you had a very similar outline for each chapter of mm-hmm. the book, uh, but it was great. You started out with the description of the superhero, so, and you brought us in, and your, your comic book knowledge really flourished right there. I yeah. mean, you were bringing us into detail. Some things I was like, I didn't even know that about that yeah. guy. Yeah. Fun, uh, fun research. I, fun I, research. That, you know, I went to a trans- lot of movies. And, you then uh, made that transition really well into the heresy and, yeah. and showing what that happened, how, how that came about. And, and that's where your church history just really flourished. Like, yeah. all of a sudden, you showed how it came about. Not just mm-hmm. it was a stumbling, but... But how this happened, and, and then out of response to this, how this position came, which I was just fascinated with by the way you were describing it. And then you, you pointed out, uh, how do we see that currently mm-hmm. um, It lived yeah. out? And sometimes you pointed out present-day religions, or sometimes I thought you did a really good job. Hey, sometimes these are Christians hold some of these or yeah. attempted to, to think this way. And then you showed, but why is it not true? And what you always did... You gave, in, in the heresy point, you showed the, the falseness of Christ mm-hmm. and what it was doing. And then, in, in the end, you showed the richness of the true Christ, yeah. which yeah. I love. Like, okay. it, while it, it, you did a great job explaining the heresies, you did a great job on helping people, I think, better understand the Christ that saves oh, us. Thanks. I, I appreciate that, because that's really the goal. I, you know, there have been lots of books written about heresies. Um, what, what I wanted to do was to write a book about Jesus. Uh, yeah. I, I, I wanted to write a theology book about Jesus. That is a, a Christology, right? And, and, and I wanted it to be accessible. I wanted, I wanted to put good Christology into the hands of people who ordinarily wouldn't walk into, say, a Christian bookstore yeah. and look for a book on Christology. And if they learn a little church history along the way, then, Amazing, then yeah. so be it. I, I, I tried to pick anecdotes and vignettes that that uh, added to the book but also made it interesting as well um so i i i love the fact that you liked the church history oh, part it of it great. because it was kind of it was like an ulterior motive i i wanted people to to read some of the stories because the, the the i mean church history is fascinating and it is it is dark it is glorious it is it is everything that we as saints and sinners are and and incredibly dramatic as well. Mm. And so, so hopefully the, those added to. So would we be giving up the ghost, so to speak, if we went through? No, you know what? But no. Just have them pick one. Okay. Just one. But before that, give, give us a book, a resource. We're always looking for resources to give out to our people. Mm-hmm. Church history. What, what's a good book? Okay. Uh, just someone wants to better understand yeah. church history and they don't want and a good one, one that would actually be written well. Yeah. So uh, the, the books that I recommend in class, and, and I think anybody could read any of these that I'll recommend. Um, 
there, there's a multi-volume, like two-volume set uh, by Justo Gonzalez, um, where and it's so it's longer uh, than uh, Bruce Shelley has a book called Church History in Plain Language uh, that's very accessible as well. Um, I think there's a book by Ian Shaw, and I'm drawing a blank on on the name of it right now. Um, uh, th- these are one right. volume. I have a person books. that listens to this, <laughs> yeah. and she loves to research everything okay. that we so say. So there'll be, there'll be footnoted there. Oh yeah, yeah. It, but it, it's something like the story of Christianity, or something okay. like that. And it, of course, the, the thing is, is the shorter the book, the the less dots can be connected. And what so so I'll, I'll, the, the Shelley book gives you like fifty chapters where he picks like fifty great events, okay, and, and you know people or. Yeah game changers, but he doesn't have the time or space to connect dots between those people or events as well. Uh, Gonzalez, it's a two-volume book. He does a lot better job of kind of weaving the narrative, and, and it's very accessible. My, my wife and a bunch of ladies uh, went through it in a book club where they met and talked about it on Saturday mornings, and now I'm not saying that like they're, they're clearly readers who care, and so it's not like a bunch of ding-dongs who got together. Um, they're 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 very very intelligent people, uh, but but they didn't have any formal theological training, and and they all loved the book, so it is very accessible. It's it's a very accessible book. I have both the Shelley and the Gonzalez. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed the I, I enjoyed them both. Gonzalez was better. Yeah, I've passed Gonzalez on uh, to people as well. Oh yeah, they've enjoyed it deeply because because it is it does put everything mm-hmm. together. It, it lines them up. Really well. Yeah, and, and then even just some other like vignettes on church history. I think some of John Piper's best writing actually is his his, yeah. his, his like uh, New Swan a, series the, the or something series. like yeah. the Swan series. Uh, it, the, those give you a good insight into who individuals are. Now he's not weaving the narrative. No, and that the swans are not silent. Yeah, I think that's what, what it's is. called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are those are great. Yeah. Um, why don't you pick pick one of the? Well, I was going to say your favorite your favorite. Uh, superhero. Oh, my favorite superhero, Flash. Flash. Yeah. I, wait, wait. I, he's not even in the book. I know. So, I know. So I know. is there a heresy out there that no, corresponds with Flash? Well, you know, any of these metahuman guys, I, I probably could have done something with, uh, instead of Spider-Man, I, I could have done something with the metahumans, but uh, Flash is just like sacrosanct to me. So I, 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 I didn't want to name a heresy awesome. after him. Uh, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> okay, wait, 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 real quick before you go. Marvel or DC, and, and be careful here. Like I know, I'm a, I know. I'm a massive fan of one, and yeah. I really despise the oh, other. Oh, do you? Okay, so so I'm not that guy. I, I, I like them both. I am more of a DC guy. I'm, I'm more of a DC All guy. Right, Although so I do this have podcast a... is over now. <laughs> yeah. So thanks for listening. And, yeah. Uh, so really, yeah. DC. Yeah. Uh, you know. So so here's why I like DC. I like DC because the comics are better, and the, the movies aren't. The movies aren't. I acknowledge that. Uh, but I, I love them. I, but I, I liked the Marvel comics, too. Uh, so I, I tended to collect Flash. I read a lot of Batman. I read a lot of Superman. Uh, but I, I, I liked Captain America. I liked um, Spider-Man. Um, so I, I, I was... I was running both ways uh, on, on this. That's awesome. Um, okay. But DC tends to be a little darker... Yeah, it it, it, it it tends to be a little grittier, and for some reason that resonated with me. And so, I, I've I've probably actually read more Batman than anything else. Um, He's like, yeah. okay, Batman and Superman are like the guys I don't like the most. Uh, for one, I'm like Batman. <laughs> what does he have? He's got a tool belt. He's got Superman, nothing. it's just not fair. It's He's not fair. Got He's like God on earth. He's, He's like God on earth. Like, yeah. Seriously. Yeah. So I just think like 
Yeah. I, I totally, it, it, it feels like they're cheating. It feels like they're cheating. And then uh, that, that Superman movie where, like, I mean, he can do anything. How does can. Batman beat Superman? That's what I want to know. Nobody knows. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, you know, Batman is the master detective. Right? He's the greatest detective who's ever lived. That gets lost a little bit in the movies, but yeah, in the comics originally. I mean, that, that's that's DC. It's Detective Comics, right? Huh. And uh, so, so huh. Batman, I just so, learned that. <laughs> so, 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 so Batman is a fascinating character, and and you're right. He's just he's just human. I mean, yeah. he's filthy rich. I mean, it's liberalism, right? Yeah, yeah. that's and and so that's the heresy there. That's the heresy right there. Is is that many people, especially Christian liberals today. Uh, they don't see Jesus as divine. They just see him as the most remarkable human who's ever lived. He's yeah. more like Batman than anyone so, else. So of all the heresies that we've written, of all the superheroes, which one do you see most prevalent in the church? In the church? Today. Oh, Superman, for sure. Superman, for sure. We, I, I don't think we know what to do with the humanity of Jesus. Hmm. I. And, and so, especially in the evangelical church, you know, we're, we're always a product of our past. Yeah. And our immediate past history, at least the last hundred years, yeah. is that evangelicals have been fighting the Christian liberals who don't believe in the deity of Jesus. And so evangelicals are really yeah. strong on the deity of Christ. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that deity of Christ just overwhelms yeah. his humanity. And it's, you know, and of course that could be the, the whole heresy as well. Totally. Um, but I, I don't think many Christians know what to do with the humanity of Jesus, which is interesting because you read the gospels and you have a very human Jesus yeah. Yeah. throughout. And uh, so, but, but we don't know what to do with it. We, we don't really know what to do with Jesus as a help in temptation. And can you, can you just break down that? Uh, can you show us how Jesus is like Superman in yeah. the way, well, as the heresy? Yeah. And so the, the, the heresy, as you, as you mentioned, was, was docetism, uh, a very early church history. You know, I, I, I'm sorry, a very early heresy in the history of the church. And, you know, you, you have the... As, as the Bible is being written, as the New Testament is being written, you have all these affirmations that Jesus is divine. And yet you have affirmations that he's human. Well, how do you put these things together? Because, again, we don't have that systematic theology. Yeah. And, and so, so early on, one of the ways to solve the tension, to ease the tension between the Bible presenting Jesus as human and the Bible presenting Jesus as divine was just to say, well, he just appeared to be human. He wasn't really human. He just seemed to be human. And the Greek, yeah. the, the, the Greek word for to seem is dakeo, which is where we get the, 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 the name docetism. Jesus just seemed or appeared to be human, but he wasn't really. He wasn't really human. And, and I think sometimes we in the church unwittingly, because we're so good at defending the deity of Jesus, right? I mean, that's, that's you know, fighting lines. I mean, right. That's the divine between the liberals and the, and the fundamentalists, the liberals and the, the neo-evangelicals, the deity of Jesus, right? We're so good at that. I think we've lost track of what it means that Jesus was human. Mm. I, I don't think we, which is weird because I think I pointed out in the book, do you remember that, that whole uh, WWJD movement? What yes. would Jesus yes. do? And, and, and I, maybe I was too introspective, but, but, but I, would, I would ask that question, WWJD, and, and, and it would be like, well, I can't, I can't do what Jesus yeah. would do. Yeah. Jesus was God, right? And, and How is that helpful at all? That was an amazing all? connection that I thought you made. Mm-hmm. Like just, 
how that creeps into the church today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like just, you know, if Jesus is, is, is Superman and, and just appear pretending to be like Clark Kent, he doesn't really have any of our weaknesses. He doesn't really relate to us mm-hmm. in, in what we're going no. through. No. And if that's Which is Jesus, why you didn't like the Superman movie, right? Who is this guy? He's basically God on earth. He can do he? anything. He can do anything. Yeah. Yes. And so, so, so how is he inspirational? Allergic to a little green rock. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Yeah. So no. And, and, and I think, I think for some people, Jesus is the same, is the same. There's other things that we could talk about that I think the church lapses into. I, I I talked about modalism, um, which, which I think is probably the de facto heretical way that many Christians think about the Trinity. There's just one God who wears different disguises. And and I have three kids, 11, nine and seven. We're working through modalism right now, Okay, uh, which I'm going to use Ant-Man now to help them know this is not Jesus. Yeah. Uh, But that was... That was really helpful the way yeah. you unpacked that. Yeah, well, thanks. I and so I think a lot of times that's the de facto way that many mm. Christians think about uh, about the Trinity. There's one God; He just wears three different costumes. There's the, there's God the Father, and sometimes He's God the Son. Sometimes He's God the Spirit. It has incredible explanatory power. I mean, that's so easy to understand. Totally, so easy to understand. We watch Ant Man. We're not, you know, we're, we're mystified. The, about the pim particles and how they work, but the fact that that, that he can be Ant Man or he can be Giant Man, but neither at the same time, we go, well, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I get that. Um, but but the Bible seems to th- suggest, <laughs> I, I think very clearly, that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit coexist yeah. simultaneously mm-hmm. and always have equally and eternally. So the, the, this idea of modalism, that God just has a mode of being, a, basically a costume. Um, I, and and that, that has implications, too. Yeah. Right? It, it has, I, I think in the book I mentioned, of course, there's the gospel is woven all the way through it. But, but even just Christian prayer doesn't really work. I, I mean, th- yes. there's a logic to Christian prayer um, where the Father is doing something, the Son is doing something, and the Spirit is doing something. And they're doing it simultaneously. Uh, so, yeah, it, these things actually matter. These things matter. You know, one, uh, so many questions. Uh, what is a, what is a good uh, pastoral implication of these heresies? Like how, how do we need to think through these heresies, especially today? How do we address them? How do we help our people, um, navigate because I think you did a good job in the book on showing these heresies weren't just historical, like in mm. the past, but they're reappearing today in yeah. various ways. Maybe, maybe a two-part question. Sure. And you kind of already answered it. So which heresy do you think would maybe need to be most addressed? And how is it that, that pastors could help equip their people to better navigate um, such heresy? Yeah. Boy, I, which one is most likely? So I'll, I'll back up and do something a little more, you know, 5,000 feet level yeah. and say that I think this matters. As, as, as we were talking about, theology really matters. What we think about Jesus impacts every aspect of our Christian life. And so, yeah. and it, it wouldn't matter if Christianity were not a historical religion, but, but history matters. Truth matters. It matters that Jesus was born in Bethlehem as a human. 
It matters that he grew up in Palestine or Israel. It, it matters that in time and space he died on the cross. It matters that in time and space he got up from the dead. These things all matter. It matters who Jesus is. It matters what he did. And, and then, of course, the main point of the book was in order for Jesus to do everything that the Bible says that he did and does, he has to be everything the Bible says that he is. And and so we have to get our thinking right on this. Many of the heresies, uh, you know, no one today is going to be a a card-carrying Apollinarian, right, or a Nestorian, or or, or any of the things that we've covered from the past. Name those heresies. Um, Hulk heresy is Apollinarianism. And oh. Nestorianism was not mentioned in the book. Good. That was good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Well, it, 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 it was. So, so, so like, Wait, what? Yes. Yeah, I think it so was. It, it, it was mentioned, but, but it, it wasn't, wasn't one of the seven. It, right, it wasn't, right. And it wasn't mentioned with a superhero. That was like the Gollum heresy. Uh, yes. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, where you have. I think I get a pass one, on that one. One being two persons. Yeah. Yeah. Or, I mean, see, but anyway, these things matter. We can unwittingly lapse into that kind of thinking. Yeah. Because the thing with the heresies is they were easy to wrap your arms around. They were yeah. easy to understand. It took some of the mystery out. But once you take some of that mystery out and you, you end up having to distort the biblical presentation of Jesus, before long you have a Jesus, maybe it's a Jesus of your own understanding, right? uh, who isn't the historic Jesus, not the biblical Jesus, and it's not a Jesus that can actually save you or do any of the things that the yeah. Bible says. Yeah. That, that he can do or, or does uh, did or does for us today. One of the things you did really well, and, and this is very pertinent. We just, um, we just did a podcast on a movie review of the American gospel. Hey, did oh, we okay. record that? We did record that and we didn't delete <laughs> it either. Uh, uh, but what they get wrong is the deity of Jesus and the humanity of Jesus. Okay. They, yeah. They, they, they get that completely wrong. And wow. Uh, you put in, in the book a, a, a really good illustration of what that is like. So how did, how did God become flesh? Oh, the uh, Ferrari. How, yes. Oh, in that one. Okay, so I got that one from Bruce Ware. So um, the, the, the question or the biblical text that we're thinking about here is in Philippians 2 where it says that Jesus or the Son, yeah. technically, emptied himself, yeah. emptied himself. Well, the really easy way to think about that would be to say, well, he gave up his deity and, and became a human. That's easy to understand. I, I mean, if you believe that there's a God who can incarnate. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it, it, you have the son of God who becomes a man. He's no longer divine. Ah, problem with that though. Right. Jesus actually needs to be divine yeah. to do, oh, I don't know, you know, atone for sin, mm-hmm. you know, th- things, things that are fairly important for us answer prayer, <laughs> uh, do, do basically anything. He's, yeah. he's he has to be yeah. divine. And so, so apparently that, uh, that the son emptied himself in Philippians chapter two doesn't mean that he just gave up his deity. So what does it mean? Well, if you just keep reading there, it, it, the, the the language of emptying himself is followed by three statements of Jesus adding something. He yeah. added humanity, took the form of a, a, of a servant, um, becoming like us in our humanity. And so the emptying was not done by taking something away. The emptying was actually done by adding. It was yeah. Subtraction by addition, and and so the illustration there is. I, I think I had like a sports car, Ferrari. You, you you want to take it for a test drive? It's it's just in mint condition, glowing, 
with the engine to match, but you decide to take it off road in the mud and you, you bring it back and all of the glory is now veiled, right? Uh, it's still just as glorious. You just can't see it. Right. Um, it's hidden under the mud. That this, it's, it, it doesn't appear to be as glorious. Which I thought that was an amazing that was a great, yeah. uh, illustration that yeah. I will completely steal. Good. Yeah, you and, should. And you should. is my own when I preach Philippians yeah. next time. And, and we are made of the dust. Yeah. I thought that was like just I don't know if oh, yeah. I'm going off. No, there you go. Yeah, we're all, made of all earth. sorts of points of, of connection, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's pretty neat. Um, what what I thought stood out to me on the importance of these heresies is that if we ca- if we lose Jesus, like in the divinity or humanity, mm-hmm. uh, kind of like the Superman, we can't relate, and oh, that yeah. seemed like. Like really, all of them. Mm-hmm. Liberalism was trying to yeah. make him like us. But oh yeah. If he's Batman, then he can't actually save us. No. Uh, he, he's not the divine. Right. No, he if could be the most remarkable human ever, but totally. that's not going to be. Good and if enough. he's Thor, well, he's still not us. He's like less than the god, but more than us. Yeah. Spider-Man, he's some hybrid type some, thing. Some some weird hybrid. And you know, the, the interesting thing about that that I tried to point out in the book is that Spider-Man comic sales are huge, right? Yeah. I, I think it's the biggest comic book seller mm-hmm. is Spider-Man. Followed by Batman, yeah, um, and 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 I think because people they they feel like they can relate to Peter Parker, right? Yeah, teenagers. But especially. you did a great job showing we can't because he's, <laughs> he's, he's 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 no longer human, no, and he's, he's no not, longer yeah, his DNA. Has he's been not a altered. spider, or like he's this mix. He's, and he's like something going in between. to like Hebrews, where it says. You know, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through mm-hmm. the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Yeah. Like the only way we find comfort in this is with a Jesus who's 100% man, 100% God. Mm-hmm. And I was listening to some other podcast at one point, and he said, anytime you have the divine nature and, and like the human nature, where those are, are meeting one another, there's mm-hmm. going to be mystery. Yeah. And, and I thought that was good just to, to, to remind ourselves there is a mystery. There has to be a mystery. Like we're going to understand it, and I don't think we should ever fight or, or we should never give up the fight on trying to understand. That's right. But we all need to know there will be a limit at, at yeah. some level. I but think there's it, a place for mystery in the Christian faith. There has to be. Uh, we, we have to hold firm to the truths that the Bible clearly articulates. And, and the place for mystery is, is in how do you connect the dots? Yes. I think. How do you connect the dots? And, and, and you were absolutely right to say we should never give up trying to connect dots. But so often what happens is that our dot connecting becomes more important than the dots, and we're, we connect dots by eliminating one of the dots. And, and, and that's what's happened in all of these Christological heresies. Yes. And, and that's what happens in our own Christian life, I think, at times. Yeah. Hey, Todd, is there anything else you would want to say just in context of the book, of this conversation, uh, maybe that we haven't already got to? Um, Ah, no, you, you've, you've been very kind. Um, one question I get a lot is, who was this book written for? Yeah. And I don't really know. <laughs> I, 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 you know. Who can relate best to it? Probably people who like comic superheroes. Yeah. But I don't think you have to like the comic superheroes to understand the illustrations yeah. in there, because I, I do give enough backstory, I, I, I think, you, yeah, you did. in there. And, you know, so I... I taught this material 
I thought, I'm going to take it for a test drive. And I taught it in a Sunday school class at, at my church, 10, 10 weeks or something like that. And the class had from teenagers through octogenarians in the class. Mm. And, and I think they all thought, this is kind of weird, because this is my first time I was teaching the class. I start out with Superman can't save you, <laughs> right? That's the, uh, yeah. that's the first one. And I think they were all like, what? But by the time we actually got into the Bible, it, it began to click, and I could yeah. see in their eyes, hey, yeah. th- this is all making sense, and they really liked it. And then, like, three months after the whole series was done, I had this lady in her 80s come up to me and say, uh, her name was Nidra Sunderland. Uh, Nidra came up to me, and she said, Todd, I just saw an advertisement for an Ant-Man movie. <laughs> and I said, yeah, are you excited about that, Nidra? Are you going to go? And she said, I don't think so, but... That's modalism, isn't it? <laughs> and, and, and I thought, okay, I've got to write this out because because I think because yeah. I think it can I I, I think it'll work. And well, you I, took something that I think many people find difficult to understand because I think you're right. A lot of times the dots are not connected, and it seems so out there. And how does it relate? But yet you did a great job in this book on just connecting how heresies in the past are very applicable today, how they're being seen today, mm-hmm. and, and how they really do affect who we view Christ. Yeah. Um, now, Bobby, you did have one really good, important question. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, under your... Well... Your, your Star Lord, mm-hmm. did you want to? Did you want to bring that up? I was kind of hoping I, he, he semi answered it earlier, but if there was a heresy, or is it a heresy that Star Lord? <laughs> what, what is what is Star Lord from, from, from Guardians? From Guardians? <laughs> oh, I don't. Just just an arrogant, likable, foolish, buffoonish Jesus. Is that who Star Lord <laughs> is? There's a he's like the Pacific Northwest Jesus. He's going to be tatted up. He, he's going to listen to '80s mixtape stuff. He's going to enjoy <laughs> going into a tavern guy. and drinking. <laughs> you know, he, he's going to be your best buddy. He's he's going to say some wise things. He's and, the Jesus and, of Portland. Yeah, and and he's probably going to be really brave too. When 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 push comes to shove, he's going to shock people with his bravery. Probably even shock himself. Uh, yeah. D- despite all the bravado. No, I, I love Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. That's <laughs> fun stuff. That's great. That's great. Cool. You want to close yeah. us in prayer, Bobby? Yeah, let's close us in prayer. Hey, uh, superheroes can't save you. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it on. What, where else can we find it? Uh, any any website where books are sold. Christian, it's, Christian book distributors. Um, yeah, uh, it's like nine bucks right now on Kindle. If you want to do yeah. Kindle, yeah. yeah. And if if you want to get it from Lifeway, uh, just order it from Lifeway. I think it's it, that's usually probably the che- one of the cheaper prices. Yeah, great. great. The price varies. Wonderful. Yeah. Awesome. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your goodness to us, to your church, to your people. Uh, Lord, thank you uh, that you have revealed yourself fully, Lord, through your son. Um, That you became man. God has become man in order to bear the wrath, the curse, Lord, that man deserves. In order that we may be redeemed that you were fully God and full, that Jesus became fully man. And Lord, thank you. Um, thank you for, for men and for theologians and um, for people who have thought deeply um, about the implications of your incarnation, what that means for us, what that means for the gospel. And so Lord, we praise you today. Um, bless Todd uh, and his ministry, Lord, both to his church and to his family and 
um, uh, to the seminary. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Satisfied in Christ. You can find resources and other podcasts on our website, satisfiedinchrist.life. Thoughts, questions, comments, please contact us through our website.